Hi, my name's Tom Gaddick. Um, I wanted to talk to you today about some of the more technical de details, scientific details, on how we discovered and developed lefitograst as a treatment for ocular inflammation and a disease called dry eye. Um, I have a PhD in chemistry, organic chemistry, actually, from the University of California, Berkeley, and have worked in the biotech industry for about 30 years now. That's a shocking number. Um, but about 30 years, and um, about 10 years ago, I co-founded a company called Sarcode, and I am the founding CEO and a shareholder in that company, so I do have a vested interest. Um, <clears throat> the company is known as Sarcode Corporation. That was the early phase that I was CEO of, and then it transitioned to Sarcode Bioscience about the time it exited from clinical trials and um, sought to then develop the drug further and go for FDA approval. Uh, I'd like to talk to you today again about some of the more technical aspects of that discovery journey. Um, at the time we began in about 2006, uh, T-cell-mediated T -cell inflammation was known to be linked to dry eye disease. And that was in a series of publications shown over time that there was at least an inflammatory component to the disease, if not a driver in the disease process. Numerous publications by 2006 had appeared in the literature. Um, particularly important was the work of the Dry Eye Workshop in that, in that regard. And um, what what was believed at that time was that there was a cycle of inflammation in the disease, and that started with some sort of an inflammatory stress on the ocular surface. Um, that then activated T cells and other things, um, antigen-presenting cells, to then uh, mature, migrate out of the ocular surface and into uh, lymph nodes downstream, communicate with T cells in that location, activate those T cells via the formation of something called the immunologic synapse, and then overall cycle T cells out of the lymph node back into the ocular surface um, where they would then be resident and sort of be on patrol looking for these stresses and respond in a manner that, that caused inflammation in response to inflammatory signals. Um, one thing to keep in mind relative to the disease is we're not trying to stop the disease um, early and prevent the uh, activation of antigen-presenting cells, APCs. Uh, no, that's already happened by the time the patient has shown up in the doctor's office complaining that their eye, that they have a symptom of dry eye that includes um, inflammation in the eye, sense of dryness, uh, sense of scratchiness when they blink, and a number of other potential uh, problems that they may be complaining about that leads to ocular discomfort. So that, all of the T-cell and antigen-presenting cell process has happened already. The patients are in some sort of a steady state, which is overall inflammatory by the time they show up in the doctor's office. Um, T-cells also, besides appearing in the ocular surface, uh, show up in periocular tissues. And the idea that we had in starting the company and going after dry eye as a target was to control the function of these T cells um, in patients in their ocular surface and their periocular tissue when they show up in a doctor's office. 
and we're proposing doing that by blocking uh, the adhesion of T cells to um, the surface of the ocular surface, um, their ability to move out of blood cells, so extra or move out of blood vessels, so extravasation out of the vasculature, their migration to a site of inflammation, so they're going to follow a gradient of inflammatory cytokines uh, to the site of inflammation. And then we're going to try and prevent the formation of the immunological synapse, which allows T cells to communicate with each other, activating T cells for cytokine secretion. Um, so blocking the activation of those T cells, and then we should be able to control the disease from our perspective prior to treating any patients. Um, so coming back to where did we get the idea of going after T cells in LFA1 as targets in dry eye, um, and this was our view from about 2006 when we began Sarcode and the company, but also began uh, studies to, to bring forward uh, lefitograst. In about uh, 1999, Allergan presented data to the FDA that they very kindly deposited on the FDA's website as a PowerPoint presentation that they used in their uh, presentation to the FDA when they were asking for approval in their so-called NDA review process. So NDA is a new drug application. Uh, and there were slides. There was a lot of data that was presented in slides that they put together. I think they had a package of 99 slides that they had on the FDA's website. That data and that PowerPoint presentation is still on the FDA's website. One of the nicer things is that in their data packages, they had um, um, tables of data, and you could go in and click on the, on the actual values or any of their graphs and be pointed to the data, including their error bars. Very helpful in the analysis. Overall, they showed that, in fact, there was, uh, from histology slides, they took patient samples, looked at it, and stained for the presence of T cells, for the presence of LFA. Um, and they showed that both LFA and ICAM were present in these uh, biopsy samples, and that in diseased versus normal patients, the level was higher uh, if in the staining of these uh, histological samples. But strangely enough, um, and they showed that, that uh, not strangely enough, they did show that treatment with restasis for six months lowered the number of T cells in tissue and uh, also in histological staining sections. But interestingly enough, at the end of the day, after they identified these markers of the process, inflammatory process underneath dry eye, they didn't go forward in trying to identify any molecules that might affect these markers more directly than uh, restasis itself. <clears throat> so they, they did show that restasis treatment trended to reducing the amount of LFA, reducing the amount of ICAM, reducing the number of T cells in these biopsy samples. But the, their, uh, their data showed trends but did not reach statistical significance for a dose response in the reduction of LFA or ICAM or the number of T cells. So we asked ourselves, could we, we build an ICAM mimetic, have it then bind to LFA1 and block um, T cell function as a treatment for dry eye? We wanted to purpose build specifically a compound that would bind to LFA. And we thought that trying to mimic the ICAM epitope was a good place to start. 
So we began uh, this work earlier, um, and we knew that there was a structure of ICAM-1 and that if you did mutagenesis in ICAM-1, converting individual residues in the first domain of ICAM-1 to alanines, um, we could show that we had an effect on the binding. We built a model of ICAM-1 based on a generalized immunoglobulin domain homology. This was done by Len Presta. We made mutants in individual residues throughout the first domain of ICAM-1. This was done, again, by Len Presta and Sarah Bodery. And we showed that uh, certain residues, when you converted them to alanine, affected the binding of ICAM-1 to LFA by about tenfold or more. And we highlighted those and went in and looked at them. And surprisingly, rather than being related to um, a very linear short sequence within the, within the sequence of uh, ICAM-1. They spanned three or four strands that went up and down the protein structure. And, but overall, in size and shape, they led to a footprint about the size of a steroid. And within that footprint, we felt pretty confident we could make a molecule that would be able to suspend in space the chemical functionality of the side chains of the residues that had been identified by alanine point mutagenesis. That's how we transferred the ICAM epitope onto a small molecule framework. So here shows um, a small molecule that's roughly the size of the epitope of uh, ICAM-1 in its binding to LFA-1. So that in itself was a pretty interesting success. We looked at the molecule lefitograst, or the, the class of molecules that, that mimicked the ICAM epitope, and we played a game which chemists, uh, medicinal chemists are accused of, of structure-activity relationships. We divided the molecule into five regions. Those five regions are shown here in red, blue, blue, green, green. Um, and we dealt into each position slightly different chemical functionality and different chemical space and shape. Uh, and we looked at the effects on the binding to LFA1, the ability to block ICAM binding, but then also other properties that we would want in um, a treatment for dry eye, water solubility, uh, the clearance of the compound from systemic circulation, which we did not want to achieve, um, and specificity for LFA1 over related receptors, MAC1 and a few others. And we looked at the combinations, uh, we looked at the effects of individual substitutions within this framework. At the end of the day, we came back and if we made 20 different substitutions at each of these five positions, five to the 20th is a very large molecule in the 100 billion range. I was too lazy to make 100 billion compounds, so we went with the presupposition that the best molecule at the end of the day would represent, be represented by the best combination of each individual module within the molecule, combined them, and got to predictive uh, properties where properties of the molecule itself are the sum of its parts. Um, we then tried to build in desirable properties for an ophthalmic uh, drug uh, potentially given as a drop for the treatment of dry eye. We knew that we wanted high affinity for LFA ICAM or LFA-1, mimicking ICAM. And we wanted, um, for scientific reasons, we wanted the compound to be a direct competitive antagonist of ICAM binding, binding directly to the ICAM binding site on LFA-1. 
um, that would lead to selectivity for LFA1. Um, we then played with the molecule and built in uh, high solubility on the order of 200 milligrams per milliliter, so roughly the solubility of sugar in water. We, saw, we thought that that would, after an eye drop was applied to the eye surface, that would give us properties that drove the molecule into, water, into the ocular tissue, not only the ocular surface, but the periocular tissue. We um, didn't want to overdo that process because what we wanted at the end of the day was also low exposure and rapid clearance, low exposure to and rapid clearance from the circul systemic circulation. So we didn't want drug building up um, in the total body. We wanted to have the effect on the eye where we desired it. We did not want to find out later that the drug was overall immunosuppressive um, to your entire body. And, you know, so in addition to treating your dry eye, you can go get a heart transplant. That turned out to be a problem that, that excessive systemic circulation turned out to be a problem that was experienced with some of the antibodies that were developed against LFA1 for the treatment of some T-cell mediated diseases. Um, and, and as I mentioned earlier, we wanted high, high water solubility to give us an osmotic gradient. Um, and we wanted chemical stability in the compound so that we could achieve a shelf life um, as a commercial product, uh, manufacture it, put it in a bottle, put it in a box, put it on the shelf at the pharmacy, and it would be able to stay there for two years. That's your expiration date on your bottle when you go get it at the pharmacy. So we were able to do that. At the end of the day, uh, we had to ask the question of, um, we picked lefitograst on those properties. Is it the right molecule to treat dry eye? We, we thought so, um, but we had to ask the question. So we took it into some preclinical pharmacology analyses and looked at its ability to bind to LFA, block ICAM binding, but also bind to LFA on, on the surface of, of T cells in a tissue culture media and um, uh, block the, the binding of ICAM-1. So in this experiment, ICAM-1, recombinant ICAM-1, is coated on the, on the bottom of a tissue culture plate in the well, and we allow cells to settle down, um, uh, a, a stable cell line, um, JERCATS, which is a human stable T cell line, we allowed them to adhere to the ICAM in the presence of our compound, and we showed that we were able to block that adhesion with an IC50 of about three nanomolar. So this is then a multivalent, almost Velcro interaction of the T cell LFA one with a Velcro level of ICAM coated on the plate. Very, very high avidity of individual high affinity interactions. Um, Compound is potent. Um, we then looked in vivo, and in this case, we had a, a model where we induced inflammation in the retina of a rat's eye um, by giving it uh, chemically induced um, diabetes. And in this process, what would happen in, in the diabetic process was T cells would adhere in the microvasculature of the retina and then they would start to induce inflammation and cause bad events downstream, uh, ultimately uh, resulting in loss of eyesight in the animals. This is an animal model of uh, macular degeneration, diabetes-induced macular degeneration. So um, 
what we were able to do is give our compound as an ophthalmic drop every day for three months. We gave it three times a day, and we, were, we showed that we were able to induce a, a statistically significant reduction in inflammation in black. Um, and the white bars represent the um, uh, normal levels that you would expect to see. Uh, numbers, numbers of cells in the vasculature in response to generating the disease. So normally the cells would become adherent in the diabetic vasculature. Here we're blocking that and the cells are able to keep moving through the vasculature. So um, we then said uh, after T cells are then activated, they then secrete uh, cytokines. So let's go in vitro and stimulate some T cells in, in tissue culture. We then took human T cells, these are primary cells, that were um, induced to be inflamed and, and secrete cytokines by uh, introduction of uh, staph enterotoxin B. And uh, in this graph or in this table of data, there are some blue columns. Those are columns of cytokines. Those cytokines in those columns, in fact, are um, cytokines that are known to be involved and expressed at high levels and tier of patients that have dry eye disease. So they're linked to dry eye. And we're able to reduce most of them at a level of drug one micromolar or so um, that we can achieve in people when we administer drugs. So um, what we also saw is if you crunch this data and look at it as a combination of um, a level of cytokine in tears versus the uh, level of drug we can get to in tear when we administer it, you can get to an effective concentration of the drug or an effective potency of the drug. And we can then show that uh, lefitograst or SAR-1118, as its research name was known, is in fact more potent than cyclosporin against many of these um, cytokines. We then um, looked at the effect of ICAM-1 and the TCL receptor, TCR, in the formation of the immunological synapse. This is data from Jay Groves and his group at the University of California, Berkeley. And what they've done is they've um, made a situation where uh, T cells, uh, mouse T cells, are allowed to settle onto a microscope uh, slide that's been coated with a layer of ICAM in a fluid membrane. Pretty sophisticated. And not only is the ICAM there, but it's in fact tagged with uh, yellow fluorescent protein. And so they can look at the end of the day and see a green circle or a yellow circle um, where T cells have arrayed LFA1 and bring in ICAM as color at that location in a central focus of the formation of the immunological synapse. They also are able to stain the T cell receptor or TCR with um, a, a, an antibody against the T cell receptor that is tagged with a red dye. So they then can watch the formation of the immunological synapse in real time on a living cell uh, in a microscope. And if you just look at a cell in the microscope in the bright field at the left here, you just see sort of these wavy um, 
surface images of some uh, waves on the on the surface of the membrane of the cells. But once you start to then look at it, look for the ICAM yellow fluorescent protein on the surface of the microscope slide, it's drawn in by binding to LFA1 and forms a, a circle. And dead smack in the middle of that circle is your T cell receptor. So at the end of the day, you end up with almost a bullseye and a target uh, ring. Um, Groves, Groves and his group have looked at this over time and found that synapse formation at 37 degrees um, on a mouse lymphocyte takes about 15 minutes. And it comes together initially as a preformed cluster at the molecular level that then arrays into this much larger circle uh, pattern. Very, very interesting, very cool to watch. Um, we then took our compound and treated the phytograst or treated uh, cells in the uh, immunological synapse formation assay in the microscope with lephitograst at increasing concentrations from 100 picomolar out to 1 millimolar. And we saw over time that the morphology of the T cells in the first row here um, changed. They stopped looking like T cells by about 1 micromolar um, in the bright field. We then looked at it by interference microscopy, the RICM image. When it's a very, very tight adhesion, as you have over here in the control, you can see very defined um, edges to the cell. It depends on the closeness of the cell. If it gets more than about, I don't know, 10 angstroms or so, or 10, sorry, uh, 10 nanometers above the surface of the slide, you can't really see it very well. But again, increasing concentrations of drug across here by about 100 nanomolar have really messed things up. Cells are harder to find, and their um, definition of their, of their image is not clear at all. They're not rounded up. They're not down close to the glass surface where the ICAM is. Similarly, if you look at the yellow fluorescent protein image of uh, ICAM-1, uh, again, shown here in black and white, it's just not fool your eye. You're more sensitive to green than others, so it's just converted to a black and white image. Um, by 100 nanomolar or so, you're seriously screwing things up. Fewer cells are able to find. Similarly, T cell receptor, even surprisingly, T cell receptor is um, its binding and formation of the immunological synapse is severely impacted by about 100 nanomolar to 1 micromolar drug levels. We know from uh, phase one clinical trials that 5% uh, lephitograst solution, a single drop of that put on the eye uh, gets the levels above one micromolar and, tier and, and re uh, maintains them for 24 hours or so. So it seems that we're, we're having an effect that we would expect based on mimicking ICAM, binding to LFA1. Um, we're blocking the binding of ICAM-1, clearly, in, in the uh, fluorescence uh, study with the yellow fluorescent construct of ICAM-1. Interestingly, if you look at this over time, here we've picked out six cells that have formed the immunological synapse. They're adhered to the microscope sur uh, surface. Um, and then we, we administer, uh, I believe it's 100 nanomolar, um, the phytograst, as SARG-1118 was called at the time, and we watch it at one minute, two minute, three minutes, okay? So if you look here and compare this to time zero, 
You see that the background on the slide is just generally brighter. That's because the ICAM's been released and has diffused away in two dimensions across the surface of that microscope slide. Um, you see great disintegration, or, you know, largely uh, at least 50% of the cells are gone here. So very, very quickly, we're able to reverse a preformed large protein-protein interaction and disintegrate the preformed immunological surface. So the earlier slide showed that LFA can, or that lefitigrass can prevent the formation of the immunological synapse. This data shows that lefitigrass can disintegrate this pre-existing immunological synapse at concentrations that are sustained in human tear um, after an administration of, of a single drop. And interestingly, LFA ICAM binding is reversible in real time. So that's, um, within the literature, it might be the first example of that um, and was a controversial topic coming into the, the execution of this program as to whether a small molecule could inhibit a large protein-protein interaction. We then said, okay, let's go see if it works in uh, an animal. So we took um, dogs and we first did a quick safety study, and we showed that uh, lefitigrass as administered as uh, single drop and then multi-drop administrations and then multi-day administrations in dogs was safe and well-tolerated in normal dogs. And that went from a concentration up as high as 10% uh, solution of lefitigrass in uh, PBS. Um, we showed that in dogs that had uh, dry eye, uh, a naturally occurring disease in dogs, that tear production in those dogs as measured by a Schirmer tear test was increased in as little as two weeks. In contrast to cyclosporin, which in people takes up to six months to reach statistical significance, we were able to reach statistical significance in the production of tear uh, tier volume and as, as measured in the Schirmer tier test uh, in as little as two weeks and maintain that out to 12 weeks. Um, we also showed, we took biopsies from the animals, uh, conjunctival biopsies before and after treatment, and showed that the number of T cells infiltrating the uh, conjunctiva was reduced at week 12. Um, we show, and that's presented here as this table, and that's in published data that I gave the reference for. So in summary, the, the preclinical pharmacology studies have shown um, that I, the compound lefitigrast was designed as an ICAM mimetic. Um, it mimics the epitope of ICAM-1 that is used in the binding to LFA-1 as such um, it, it binds to the same binding site. It is a direct competitive antagonist of LFA binding to ICAM-1. Um, we've then optimized compounds that are capable of binding in that manner as, as a larger family. We've optimized this particular one, lefitigrast, as a pharmaceutical um, for delivery to the eye as an ophthalmic drop for the treatment of dry eye. In particular, what I'm saying is that because you drip this right onto the surface of your eye, and that's where there are T cells in residence within 100 
um, nanometers or so of the ocular surface, a very, very short distance. It's very similar to the in vitro studies that we did where we drifted on uh, cells in culture, and we would expect to see the same effects in there. Um, so overall, the compound performs like an ICAM mimetic, both in vitro and in vivo. It's high affinity for LFA1, and it blocks T-cell adhesion at very, very high affinity or low concentrations. Um, it's able to block the binding of ICAM1 to LFA1. It's able to block the formation of the immunological synapse, which is important for T-cell activation. Um, it is able to reverse the formation of a pre-existing immunological synapse uh, in a very short period of time. So that's actually pretty interesting scientifically. Um, it indicates that the drug might act pretty quickly in uh, the clinic in terms of uh, blocking immunological synapse formulation information, which we're not going to look at, but it, it should then be effective in reducing cytokine secretions and inflammation at the surface of the eye. Uh, it does block T-cell activation uh, in vitro, and we've shown that it can block T-cell adhesion in vivo and in vitro. It blocks cytokine release, so this whole combination of immunological synapse formulation blocking ICAM binding, blocking synapse, blocking T-cell activation, blocking cytokine release. This flow of events makes a lot of sense, and those events are related to the presence of dry eye disease. Um, and overall, you know, we're able to block T-cell adhesion, infiltration of T-cells into inflamed tissue. We've shown in vivo that we can block canine dry eye um, in what was essentially a small clinical trial in 12 dogs that took about a year to execute. Um, but we were able to show that, in fact, we're able to treat canine dry eye, uh, at least the sign, uh, clinical sign of canine dry eye. And overall, in animals, it's safe and well-tolerated. So that actually is very important as well. We tested the safety and the tolerability in both dogs and rabbits in vivo. A little bit of studies in mice. So a couple of different species have been shown to be safe and well-tolerated. Um, so if you sum it up at the end of the day, the pharmacology preclinically indicates that uh, lefitograst appears to be a promising treatment for dry eye. Certainly it works in dogs. Um, and um, we've exhausted the things we can do preclinically, so we think the data looks very positive, and it's time to test it in a human trial. So we've bundled up all of the data preclinically, put it into an IND submission or investigational new drug, and we've sent it off as a roughly 10,000-page document to the FDA and have indications that they are happy to let us go forward into a human clinical trial. Um, at this point, I'd like to acknowledge the people who have contributed to everything that I've told you about. I did not do this by myself. In particular, I'd like to acknowledge John Bernier, who was my partner in this conspiracy from the beginning. Uh, and he um, 
demonstrated his commitment very early on with a similar donation of his own personal funds to keep the company alive until the venture funding came in in late 2006. A number of people also helped along the way by letting us have their time and expertise and opinion as we thought about how to position lefitograst as an anti-inflammatory T-cell mediated treatment for dry eye. And these in particular included um, Rod Ferguson, Jeff Duick, who are venture capitalists, and we use them as a sounding board uh, to try and craft the investment uh, opportunity. They were very, very helpful in giving their time and thoughts along the way, multiple occasions. And then um, from the clinical expert side of things, um, Gary Novak and Janine Smith were very, very helpful in discussing how to position this and how to think about this as you know, an actual clinical treatment for dry eye, how you wanted to find patients, how do you wanted to treat them. So I can't thank them enough. Um, and legal advice as well is always greatly appreciated. So I want to thank you for listening.